Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and all we are is dust in the wind. (laughs) Such an existential musing for such a non-existential film. Um, In this season of uh, Awesome Movie Year, we've been covering the films of 2003, and we have reached the episode where we... Take a pick from our producer, David Rosen. So, Dave, what movie have you picked for us to talk about? We are going to talk about Todd Phillips' Old School. Yes. And Dave, let me jump in right there. Josh, how could you say this is not existential? Literally, the entire setup is a man going through an existential crisis. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I think the movie doesn't really delve into that much, but um, that's fair. (laughs) Perhaps I am not giving old school it's uh, proper respect on that front. So we'll uh, we'll get into that uh, in a little bit. But yeah, old school, a very popular movie. Was a huge box office hit. It grossed uh, $87 million on its budget of only $24 million, which I think is a lower budget than you would have now with a movie with these stars, uh, especially Will Ferrell, who'd probably get paid $24 million just on his own or close to it. I don't know, maybe not Luke Wilson or Vince Vaughn so much. Certainly not Luke Wilson. I don't think Will Ferrell would make $20 now either. I think that Frat Pack brand of comedy has kind of gone by the wayside to the streamers. Yeah, maybe so. I think Will Ferrell is still a huge star on his own, even if this brand of comedy is not uh, the the top of the pack or whatever. But um, I mean, he's just a superstar. So maybe not $24 but a lot. Uh, I think, you know, he commands, even for a movie like his recent Netflix movie, the Eurovision Song Contest, I'm sure he was paid quite a bit. But uh, this movie, and and Todd Phillips too, I think probably commands a, a pretty big payday these days. But this movie made yes. on a on a relatively small budget for something like that and uh, and brought in huge money and just was a big pop culture phenomenon. It was the right moment for this, I guess. Uh, it worked out well, you know, these stars were in the right positions and this kind of comedy was really the popular style, I suppose, in 2003. And so it made a lot of money and, uh, it was generally like a hit with audiences. It got a B plus cinema score, which is pretty good critics. Uh, not as much. (laughs) It was, (laughs) I, you know, it was mixed. There were some, there was some positive. It wasn't all negative, but uh, to start out, Ro- Roger Ebert hated this movie. He gave it uh, one star out of four. And he said, um, of course, also, uh, you know, Roger Ebert started this review with long musings about his own uh, college days as, nice. as he is prone to do, but um, I skipped all that. So uh, he said, The movie has been slapped together by director Todd Phillips, who careens from scene to scene without it occurring to him that humor benefits from characterization, context, and continuity. Otherwise, all you have is a lot of people acting goofy. The movie was screened before a, quote, invited audience in a Michigan Avenue theater where two small groups of audience members laughed loudly at almost everything, and just about everybody else waited politely until it was over and they could leave. Critics are sometimes required to see comedies at such screenings because we can appreciate them better when we see them with a general audience. And to be sure, I learn a lot that way. So Ebert, 
here expressing contempt, not only for the movie, but also for the people who enjoyed the movie. <laughs> Josh, when you heard that, were you like, you're my boy, Blue? <laughs> yes, yes. I have certainly had that experience at screenings where um, it, the public is invited along with the press and I'm surrounded by people who are laughing uproariously at some movie and I'm just stone-faced. And, and yeah. I, yeah, I think... As Ebert says, I think that the 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 idea there uh, from the studios is to show the critics how funny a movie is, how positively an audience is reacting to it. But I feel like at least for me, and it seems like maybe here for Ebert too, it's almost the, it has the, almost the opposite effect. As everyone is laughing and you're not, you're like, "What is wrong with these people? This movie is terrible," and it, it turns you against it even more. Wouldn't it be great if we were at a screening with the general public? And, you know, you're in the critic row because you're a critic and Dave's in the critic row because he's a sham. And I'm in the critic <laughs> row because you took me and everyone's <laughs> laughing, Josh. And then you got up and you're like, why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? <laughs> I, I I would not do that, of course. But I, I'm sure, Jason, I'm sure we have had that experience together where, where you've come along with me to something like this. And maybe even where, where we're in sync and you're not laughing either, but we're, we're stuck around yeah. all these people who are laughing. So. Not, not an uncommon experience and certainly, you know, soured Ebert on this. But of course, I mean, comedy is one of these things that's extremely subjective. And, and I, as I always say as a critic, I can say, oh, I didn't find this movie funny, but I can't tell somebody, oh, you didn't laugh at this movie. Like that's objectively something that they did do. So clearly there was an audience that was really into this movie and finding it hilarious. And and some critics found it hilarious as well. And and actually, uh, before we get to that, going to sort of Jason, your point about this movie actually being kind of existential, uh, Manola Dargis in the LA Times uh, had that perspective a bit as well. She said, your enjoyment of the new comedy old school may hinge on whether you find the sight of Will Ferrell running down a street in nothing more than black socks and shoes uproariously funny, inexplicably tragic, or a little of both. Old School more or less picks up where director Todd Phillips' last Lollapalooza road trip ended. The jokes are funnier in Old School and the comedy more evolved, mostly because the guys are feeling the pain of commitment. The disconnect between what men say and what they do makes Old School funnier than most of its gags and it also invests the movie with curious pathos. As it pans out, Phillips never goes fully for broke, and even Will Ferrell, who gets the benefit of the film's more robust routines, fails to scale the lunatic heights of his Saturday Night Live glory. Hmm. And I had completely forgotten about Road Trip, which I have seen and was uh, Todd Phillips' previous film that's even worse than this one and even more uh, sort of uh, raunchy and lowbrow. But I guess this was a, a step up. So I don't know, did you find pathos in this movie at all, Jason? No, I don't agree that it was evolved comedy either, but there were things that made me laugh. So you know, right. that's, that's where I'm going with that. So. I mean, maybe it's evolved from Road Trip, I guess. Have you seen Road Trip? No, I actually never saw Road Trip or Euro Trip, for that matter. Did Todd Phillips also direct Euro Trip? I don't think he did, but wasn't that a you know, sequel of sorts to it? It, it actually it, wasn't connected, but it just kind of capitalized on it, basically. All right. Mm. Dave, did you, did you see Road Trip? Loved it. <laughs> wow. Well, I can't wait for whatever year that came out and we can have that as Dave's pick. I would like that. I would like I that. I would not. Wasn't that, that the big breakout movie for DJ Qualls? 
Was he? I think so. Yeah. 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 Meyer, Amy Smart. I remember I didn't see the movie and I remember all three are in it. So yeah, yeah, I I did see Tom Green, of course. Right. Yeah. Tom Green got a shout out in one of these reviews, although I didn't pick it up. uh, But uh, people mentioned him. So uh, finally, Mick LaSalle in the San Francisco Chronicle kind of had the opposite where he liked the jokes more than the uh, sort of overarching themes. He said, the saving grace of old school is that it has about a dozen funny moments. These moments aren't mildly funny or chuckle funny, but really funny, infused with the same coarse, go-for-broke sensibility that director Todd Phillips demonstrated in his first feature, Road Trip. There's nothing PG-13 about Phillips, who appears as himself in one scene uttering a single line, I'm here for the gangbang. That says it all. The terrain, the audacity, and ultimately the limits of old school, which despite the big laughs, barely holds together in between. The problem isn't only that its story is weak, it's tedious as well. I mean, and certainly like, one thing I noticed like structurally with this story in this movie we get to a point eventually where, you know, these these guys, these adult guys have started their own fraternity at the college and the dean played by Jeremy Piven is trying to shut them down. And we finally get to the point where, you know, as typical for these movies, they have to follow these convoluted rules and go through all these challenges to keep their their charter intact. And which seems like it would be like the centerpiece of the movie. And I remember pausing it at that point and thinking like, oh, there must be a bunch left. And it's like 17 minutes before the end of the movie. So yeah. like, it's really poorly structured, this film. I thought the exact same thing, Josh. And had they wanted to look at a structure done well with this, perhaps they could have looked back at Billy Madison, which also has an academic decathlon, probably a little earlier in the film and probably a little longer with its, uh, with its pacing and its you know, usage. and and. Let's get to Billy Madison one of these days. Yeah, I've never, I've never seen Billy Madison actually. So, <laughs> ooh, that's. An but Josh, experience. let me bring up another point. They yes. mentioned Todd Phillips' cameo in this thing, and I think we can both agree that Todd Phillips' hair not that dissimilar to Dave's <laughs> hair. So, Dave, how do you announce yourself when you arrive at the gangbang? Yeah, <laughs> however I need to, basically. There, yeah, that's that's good. Todd Phillips also has this like wispy mustache in this movie that looks him makes him look really like a guy who's arriving for a gangbang. It's really the perfect look, whether that was his natural look or not. Yeah. So, uh, Jason, did you like this movie? I mean, I, did you see it when it first came out, and did you enjoy yeah, it? Yeah. I maybe we saw it together. Maybe we didn't. Maybe. Of course, I pretty sure I saw it in the theater, um, but I haven't seen it in so long and uh, definitely did not like it as much this time. Found things funny, but was very, very angry at how badly structured it was. <laughs> wow. <laughs> angry. Yeah, it is very badly structured. And I think all of these articles or all any of these reviews that talk about the deeper thematic elements or the pathos or any of that stuff, I think they're completely off the mark. I think that stuff is just com- like... If it's there, it's glossed over. It doesn't have any resonance or anything like that. And I, I did see this movie in the theater and reviewed it and did not like it at all at the time and also continue to not like it now. <laughs> so, uh, you know, consistent in my response, I would say. Well, just let me say, like, you do sometimes have movies that are not necessarily structured and feel episodic or sketchworthy. You know, I think of Super Troopers, I think of Wet Hot American Summer. And you can get away with it if it's really, really funny. And I like both those movies. But um, 
This one, I think maybe the first time I laughed, like I said, and this time I was just like, come on, man. Like, you have to have a connecting scene or something like that. Or you can't just say, like, no in the next scene. And then your explanation of why it got to yes is just like, now they said yes, you know, in the scene <laughs> right after it. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't seem like and I think you're right that that you you might forgive a lot of that stuff if you're just consistently laughing through the whole movie. And I mean, for me, I certainly was not. Uh, obviously a lot of people are, and maybe Jason, you were a bit, but you know, I think there's plenty of movies, uh, where you might look at it and say, oh, this movie is really, really funny. And it's just kind of haphazardly constructed, but who cares? Cause it's just hilarious. And certainly that's not how I felt about this movie. Well, yeah, let me just give an example, Josh, of what okay. we're talking about. Right. Yeah. Uh, Craig, Craig Kilborn's talking about. Oh my of, God. Uh, Talk about uh, like a weird blast from the past. Like, look at Craig Kilborn in this yeah. movie. <laughs> right? He he comes in as uh, the boyfriend of um, yeah, Ellen Pompeo's character, uh, Nicole. Sure. Nicole. Whatever. And Luke has a, Luke Wilson, who plays Mitch, has a crush on her, and, but they're boyfriend, girlfriend. And then uh, Mitch walks in on the Craig Kilborn character, you know basically making out flirting whatever you want to call it with the you know a server at a party and then he's like hey you can't tell her it's guy code right so he doesn't tell her and then the killborn character is like yeah i saw mitch harassing this girl and then the nicole character is like oh yeah i heard about you mitch and he goes no that was craig killborn and then that's how they that's how they leave it and then the next scene you're like eh, you were right mitch Craig Kilborn's a jerk, you know, and that that's there's no like revelation of how she finds out or anything. It's just like an afterthought, which all the women in this film are right. But like, it's just like, ah, hey, you were right. You know, so we built this whole subplot for no reason to take us nowhere to just go. Yeah, that's OK. Right. I agree with you that that's very poor. And I noticed that where where she just shows up and she's like, oh, yeah, it's all fine. I like you. But on the other hand, did you really want another scene with Craig Kilborn? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want more TV with Craig Kilborn. I want to know what he's doing right now. I liked him back in the Sports Center anchor days, and uh, I like him when all he did was dance, dance, dance. <laughs> all right, well, wow. one vote, one vote for Craig Kilborn there. So he's not a good actor, but I did like him as a TV person. All right. Uh, so, Dave, I assume you saw this when it came out and enjoyed it. Yeah, you, you got to remember this came out. I was twenty three years old. This was the height of the polar bear MCs. We were drunk every single night and this was our kind of thing um we we loved this movie back then but i also say i haven't seen it since back then my real pick for the season is something we're going to talk about in our future cult classic episode later uh, later this season but this i was really excited to revisit it because like i said i haven't seen it since way back then and i was really curious whether it would hold up for me and Dave, I am the same. I liked it back then, but I haven't seen it. So what does that say? Did we really like it that much, I wonder? Yeah, it's a good question. Because, you know what, just just real quick, like to add to that, I, I was thinking about that and I feel like, I, I think I might be getting this out of order, but I think Wedding Crashers was like the next big one of like these guys, you know? And then whatever came after that, whatever, they like replaced the previous one. It was like, you never went back to the one before it, you know? I mean, it's weird to me because obviously I didn't like this movie, but I feel like this kind of movie where it's just like, oh, it was so funny and I just had so much fun with it. It's the kind of movie that people who like it will watch over and over again. And mm -hmm. as you guys pointed out, you enjoyed it, but neither of you ever bothered to watch it again. 
Yeah, like, I mean, and it's not the same movie, but Anchorman, Step Brothers, other Will Ferrell movies, I'd be happy to watch again. This one, I don't really want to watch again. And I think Wedding Crashers, I think, is probably a better movie, too. Um, Dave, were you drunk when you saw the movie? Most likely. Um, <laughs> Dave, are yeah. you drunk when you go to the gangbangs? <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay then. Uh, any other, <laughs> any other background you want to offer on this movie, Jason? Um, yeah, I want to say one thing. Yes. Uh, Todd Phillips was a successful documentarian before this, and he made a, a documentary called Fraternity House, I think, which won a, an award at Sundance and was supposed to be released on HBO. But like the, the guys in the fraternity house were like, yeah, we never gave you our rights to dramatize our life. So no one's ever seen it. And then someone was like, hey, that's funny. You should make a movie about adults in a fraternity house. And then uh, his buddy wrote it. And then Todd Phillips and Scott Armstrong rewrote it like a bunch of times. And uh, that's how this movie came to be. So that's kind of an interesting background on it. And it's weird because, I, as you say, no one really has seen that frat house. And I don't know if that's one of the a lot of times there's movies that are not officially released, but you can find them online. And I don't know if that's the case with that movie. But Regardless, it seems like the thing about that movie was it was kind of an expose. That's why those those fraternity brothers were trying to suppress it because it showed all the terrible stuff that went on in a fraternity. And so it's funny to me that somebody who made that documentary then went on to make this like wacky comedy about how fun it is to be in a fraternity. <laughs> it's weird. No lessons learned. We've all gone silent. <laughs> So on that note, then, uh, we'll come back in a moment and talk about our general thoughts on old school. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 2003, we're talking about our producer, David Rosen's pick, Old School. And uh, we kind of went into it a little. Dave uh, was drunk when he saw this movie. So, um, but why, why, why did you pick it? What, what do you like about this movie, Dave? And when did you sober up? <laughs> <laughs> Not too long after. But uh, yeah, no, I, I mainly picked it so that we could revisit it. And also I wanted to see Josh squirm while talking about it uh, for <laughs> sure. But uh, yeah, no, I, I was really curious whether or not it would hold up. Um, you know, obviously a lot of, a lot of the jokes in this movie and a, a lot of the scenarios in this movie are things we would not see anymore nowadays in, in movies. And so I thought that would be an interesting thing. And also I, I do think as, you know, kind of dumb as this movie is. And, and I, I agree with a lot of the criticism you guys are talking about with, you know, structurally, this is just a bad movie, you know, it's just that it was really funny at the time, but I also think it's really influential. You know, we talked about some of those movies that came after that had a lot of these same people or Todd Phillips himself, or, uh, you know, a lot of the same sense of humor, uh, this brand of humor, I think, kind of dominated uh, from this point forward until, you know, the Judd Apatow thing kind of took over well, from there. Well, but the Judd Apatow thing started before this, didn't it, it? It did. It did. But I mean, it really kicked off after, I think, the 40-year-old virgin. Yeah, I feel like I feel like this was another cog in the wheel, but I don't think this is any more influential. And I think Anchorman might have been before this, too. I'd have to look that up. But I feel like, you know, this is like I, we call it the I mean, it was called the frat pack, right, which is a play on the rat pack. And it's, you know, you know, Apatow, Phillips and Adam McKay were the directors. And you have Ben Stiller, the Wilson brothers, Will Ferrell, Steve Carell, Jack Black, Vince Vaughn, and then John C. Riley, David Koechner, Leslie Mann and Paul Rudd is kind of any combination of those. And you're getting a uh, frat pack 
comedy yeah. movie that's raunchy and R-rated and um, you know, kind of very adult in its nature. Um, which is also in a way, kind of like the teen sex comedies all grown up of the eighties, right? Yeah. And and Anchorman was the next year, by the way, and then Forty Year Old Virgin was the year after that. So it, this was a little before. Yeah, I mean, I think they're they're all kind of intertwined. Um, and a lot of the people, as you know, you're naming those people, Jason, like a lot of them work together in these different combinations with Apatow or with Todd Phillips. But I think one thing, you know, that Apatow brings in is what we were just talking about that this movie doesn't do, which is the emotional depth, which is, mm -hmm. yeah, it has all this raunchy humor and it's wacky and kind of over the top at times, but there actually is more to the characters. You know, there's a, an emotional arc that you can actually care about. That's not just perfunctory because some studio head said to put in a love story or something like that, that Apatow really invests himself in the characters as a filmmaker. And so you can do that as a viewer as well. And that's something that Todd Phillips clearly does not care about. And I mean, is not, I, I feel like, again, it's not something that he fails at. It's something he doesn't even try to do. Definitely. In this film, I think in other films he does, you know, the, the hangover, there's some arc to some of the characters. <laughs> A little uh, bit. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, let me say this. You know, in a recent episode, I talked about how frustrating it is to get notes from, you know, producers or studios. And, like, I was, like, talking about how in American Splendor, it's like, imagine if the note was more conflict. And in this one, the note should have been more conflict, more character development, put a structure on this thing. Because there was this thing I read where Ivan Reitman's the producer and Todd Phillips and Scott Armstrong they were the writers, you know, and they went to Ivan Reitman's house every day for two months to write. And they're like, it was like writer's boot camp. And I'm like, did you fail out of it? Because what <laughs> happened here? Like, how did you, how did, how is this the structure that happened after two months of writing, you know, of rewriting? I don't understand. Yeah. I mean, and there is conflict, but again, it just, it kind of all gets crammed into the end of the movie, really. The idea of, I mean, we see Jeremy Piven's character come in fairly early on. And you know that he's against them. He's the dean of the college. And they used to kind of, they knew him when, was it when they were in college or when they were like in high yeah. school or something? Yeah, Jeez. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. And really that like, funny. that's the other thing. Like he's, he's obviously a dick as the movie goes on. But in that first scene, when he comes in, I was like, I'm on his side. He's grown up. And he's, he's confronting these guys who used to bully him when he was younger. And they clearly have not matured at all and are still being dicks to him. Well, Vince Vaughn has a business and a family and kids. So, I mean, you know. And yet has not matured at all. <laughs> um, I want to say this, you know, because we're talking negatively. The first 10 minutes, I really laughed at. I really thought we're, and I was excited because what he does that's really good is he takes known tropes of comedies and then he subverts the expectations, right? Like, so Luke Wilson leaves a conference early to go home. And then, you know, you hear the moaning and groaning coming from his bedroom and you're like, oh, okay, his girlfriend's cheating on him. And then he walks in and, oh no, he's not being cheated on. She's just watching porn. Right. And then no, he is being cheated on, but it's not by a man. It's by a couple. And now she's into gangbangs. And like, I thought that was a funny take. And I love the wedding where not much happens. And Vince Vaughn is just, you know, don't marry her. You're going to ruin your life. And Will Ferrell's just like, what? This is supposed to be the best day of my life. And then you get the Dan Band, who's classic with their. No, the Dan Band's funny, Josh, especially no, the not. first time I heard it. You know, Total <laughs> Eclipse of the Heart with all the cursing. 
And uh, I think that was uh, through Mitchapalooza, I was with this movie. And then afterwards, it just kind of just fell apart, like after act one. And I mean, I'll even say go for so far as to say like, oh, hey, we can stay on campus. We're a fraternity. And then the way they pick up. See, this is another example. No, I don't want to do a fraternity. And then Frank says, do it to Mitch. And then the next scene, they're doing it. Like, there's no revelation. There's no, like, turn of the key. There's no, like, well, I have to do this. It's just like, okay, I'll do it, you know? And so getting the recruits and, uh, you know, putting them through some of the hazing, which, you know, would not be appropriate today. Some of that was funny, you know, the uh, tying the, the cinder block to your to your ding dong and uh, to your penis and then letting it, you know, fall. And, and the one dude falls through the sore hole and he goes all the way, he falls down. That was pretty funny. Weensy. Or thanks for thanks for clarifying what a ding dong is, by the way. <laughs> it, it's a it's a dick. We can it's use these dumb. words, right? We can yeah. Yeah. use them all. Yeah. yeah. Um, a schmuck. A schmuck a is that a Okay. <laughs> anyway, I I don't agree with love it. rocket. Any of that, except the idea of the structure being Eater, messed up. Weeder. And I'm sorry. No. I, I did notice that moment that you're talking about where, you know, we've set up the idea that that Luke Wilson is, he's, you know, he's trying to move on with his life, Mitch. You know, he's broken up with this girlfriend. He's trying to start a new chapter. He's trying to mature maybe in a way. And Vince Vaughn, Beanie, I think is the character, they call him is his Bernard, nickname, yeah. Bernard Beanie. Yeah. Um, you know, he's married with the kids and he clearly wants to live vicariously through his friend. And so he says, start the fraternity, start the fraternity. and that could be like a conflict between them as friends. But as you say, Mitch is like, uh-uh, no way. And then it's like, okay. And well, why did we even bother to have that argument in the first place? Just right. have him agree and, right away. And that is, again, with the subplot with uh, Nicole, it's the same thing. Like, meh, okay. Well, there, we just worked it out by saying it got worked out. You know, right, right. And like, that's fine, especially with the fraternity thing, because it's like, obviously, that's what the movie's about. And we need to get there so we can have the wacky fraternity stuff happen. So just get there, just do it. But yeah, I don't I didn't find any of that early stuff funny. And I to me, the other problem is not only did I fi not find that stuff funny, but I feel like all of that early setup makes me just hate all of these guys and think they're all assholes. And I don't like them or root for them. And Especially Beanie. Beanie is the worst of them all. I mean, at least Mitch has been kind of wronged by his girlfriend, although they, they the way they present it is is very, uh, I don't know, it, it, it borders on misogyny, I think. And Frank Well, is, wait a second. I want to jump on that. That's yeah. not really fair. I mean, it's one thing if she's into what she's into, that's fine. But like, if she's, if she was cheating on him with one person, you would be like, okay, she was wrong in this relationship for going behind his back and doing this. So if she's into this and not telling him, then that's the same thing, isn't it? Well, right. I mean, she's definitely cheated on him and he's been wronged, but I think the way that it's presented, especially it, it, it makes her into this. I, I mean, maybe it's maybe not misogyny, but I think it's what you're saying about the female characters is they're also one dimensional. We can't see her as like a person who has wronged him, you know, and there's no sense of, their relationship being meaningful because when she talks about like, Oh, I was telling you about this stuff when I was talking dirty and you know, there's no, there's no, there's no dimension to her or to their relationship. 
which is sort of the inciting incident for the entire movie, right? He cared so much about being with her that he's become a wreck and he needs to now start a fraternity to bring his life back. And I just didn't buy into that. And the same thing with Frank, you know, he gets married to this woman and then who he proposed to, presumably they've been together for some amount of time. And, and then their relationship falls apart in like two seconds. And you don't get the sense that any of these people care about the women in their lives at all. That is true. I didn't mind that Frank's relationship fell apart, though, because I think the standard thing is for him to be like, hey, I learned a lot and now I'm going to grow up and win my wife back. And he, instead, he does the complete opposite. He learns yeah. nothing and takes over the fraternity, which so that I didn't mind. I do agree with you on the Luke Wilson part. And, in, and it should have been him coming to a revelation of like, hey, my last relationship didn't work out. And no matter what she did. I was dead inside and this makes me feel alive. And this is why I'm starting the fraternity um, because it solves a problem, but also it makes me feel like myself again or who I want to be. Right. You know, so that was a problem. I, I don't agree with you. I like the, the Vince Vaughn characters that are acerbic, aggressive, abrasive. And I love the little like lines he throws out, you know, that are clearly improvised that he just does when he does. I mean, the earmuffs thing is all improvised and everything. So I, I like Vince Vaughn in this type of thing. I think he's better with John Favreau when he has a partner who kind of knows how to utilize him at his best. But, you know, I didn't mind him as much. I mean, I didn't mind him at all. You did. So, yeah, I mean, and I think maybe we talked about this when we did our episode on swingers is that I just find his presence mm -hmm. unpleasant, I think. And I like him when he plays characters who are villainous. Like in this movie, he's an asshole, but we're meant to like him. And I feel like sometimes, you know, maybe more so in serious movies rather than in, in comedies, he'll play a character who's actually like the bad guy. And then I can get into his performance because I meant to dislike him. I will say, however, that I think the only time I laughed in this entire movie when I was watching it this time was with one of his lines, uh, which may have been improvised. And when he says something like, to, to Luke Wilson's character, something like, I built Speaker City from the ground up and I can barely even read. And when he's he's dismissing the value of college. And I found that funny because that was just this very like nihilistic kind of line. But overall, I, I found his character very unpleasant. And I think going back to something that you were saying about the arc for the Luke Wilson character is that is another one of these stupid structural things where so the climax of the movie is they go through this whole long process to beat the system and to retain their accreditation and they disgrace Jeremy Piven's character, the Dean, and they, you know, get him kicked out and everything and they've triumphed and the fraternity can still exist. And then, uh, Nicole shows up and, uh, she's like, Oh, you're, you're leaving the fraternity. And he's just like, Oh yeah, they don't need me anymore. Like, what, 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 what did you just spend the whole last 20 minutes of the movie doing? Well, to go along with that, then the last scene we see, they move into Dean Pritchard's house, right? And Frank is the new godfather of the fraternity. And he's yelling at uh, Walsh and Artie Lang's character. And he's like, go get me a beer. And they're like, no, seriously. And then, you know, he he goes crazy. Get me a beer. Blah, 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 right. And, and he leaves. And then he goes off screen. And the last shot of the movie is Artie Lang looking at Frank and Walsh going like, what just happened? Like, why do I care about Artie Lang at this point? <laughs> Who's had like three lines in the whole movie, you know, and is, and is not an important character at all. Like there's no reason for me to care about that, which was, I thought just a very strange way to end in, in the film. So did you, you didn't like anything? Well, the, uh, Dave, what did you like? 
Okay, I I still think a lot of the humor holds up. I honestly, I, I agree with almost every filmmaking and structural issue that you guys have with the film, but a lot of these lines, especially Vince Vaughn, who I know Josh hates, but um, I I found almost all of his like little off the cuff remarks to be really funny. Uh, a lot of the the setups, a lot of Will Ferrell stuff, I think. Uh, you know, I'm definitely more of an anchorman guy when it comes to Will Ferrell, you know, comedies, but I think that this is up there as one of the better ones that he's done. Uh, I think there's just a lot of really funny stuff that really holds up. But you didn't give any specific examples. Oh, well, I, well, I, I said the, the off the cuff remarks from Vince Vaughn. I mean, we already mentioned yeah. a couple of them, you know, but, uh, Will Ferrell, once he starts drinking and, you know, it's so Frank good once take. it hits your lips and you're my boy yeah. blue and all that kind of stuff. Another thing I love, um, Josh, I saw your letterbox review, so I know you didn't like this part, <laughs> uh, but is the use of Metallica during the uh, during the whole scene where they're getting all yeah. the new rushes. Uh, they're kid basically kidnapping the new rushes in, in a van and just driving that van all over the place, crashing into shit. And it's just, it's so over the top and ridiculous. Why didn't you like that, Josh? Well, my point that I was saying on Letterboxd was, I mean, I don't I don't like it because I didn't really like anything about this movie, but it, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't the use of Metallica that I didn't like. It was just sort of, my comment was, and we talked about this in our episode on Paradise Lost, that at that time, getting Metallica to license a song to a movie was like, they would not do it. And it took right. that movie that was a documentary about this huge injustice that was done against these teenagers who were themselves, these big Metallica fans. And the filmmakers had to like go to Metallica and, and make their case for why the music should be in there. And it was such a huge deal. So my criticism is really more about Metallica sort of right. selling out. <laughs> and that somewhere in the time period between then and this, they're just like, oh, dumb frat comedy. Sure. Have master puppets. Why not pay us money? Screw it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, Josh, tell us your thoughts on uh, Blue's birthday party. <laughs> where they do the the lube wrestling or whatever yeah yeah i mean it's no worse than any other parts i mean it's obviously put together because they decided they need some female nudity in the movie you know you got to have some topless ladies in a movie and, like uh, this which is on loop on the dvd menu that's what i was gonna say i borrowed the <laughs> dvd from dave the unrated version and the background of the main menu is just the two women taking their tops off. So they're, they're, you know, going all in on it. They got their money's worth. Yeah. I mean, they know their audience. So what, what is in, I think I just watched the regular version. So what, what is in the unrated version that's, that's added more boobs. I'm not even sure to be honest with you. (laughs) Maybe some of the blowjob workshop scene might be a little more explicit, you know, who knows? Oh yeah. Andy Dick. That was great. (laughs) I think Andy Dick is another thing when used right is very funny. I think here they just, let him go far, you know, far and away to, to just out there. You know, I didn't, I didn't really love that. Either, yeah. So. He's, he's very, I think you're right. Maybe he can be funny when used right, but I think you can't give him any leeway at all. <laughs> I remember I, and the first time I watched it, I was like, Oh, I wish Will Ferrell had more. But I thought he was funny on this one. Very funny. And I like Will Ferrell, obviously. And then, I mean, I like, uh, you know, Vince Vaughn. I like, so those are things that I liked. Um, but yeah, I mean, they have some good comedic actresses who don't get anything in, right? You know? Yeah, I mean, these female characters are all just existing to kind of move the plot along or to to check a box off. As, again, you know, the, the, the screenwriting, like, well, you got to have a love interest. You know, you got to have this, this arc. Because Luke Wilson's character is really all, the only one who has any kind of arc, you know, where he 
by the end of the movie is going to get with Nicole or whatever and have what appears to be a more uh, mature relationship, I guess. Or really, to me, it just seems like it would be a more boring relationship because she's an extremely boring character. Um, but She has a white stink jacket, Josh. She, she does. And I think uh, at the end of the movie, um, and that is, you said the, the last shot, but there are some bits during the credits. And I think isn't one of the credits bits where Frank the Tank is, is in the grocery store and he meets Juliette Lewis, uh, the, her character, the, the Luke Wilson's ex, and she invites him over for what is clearly a gangbang. Um, and he's wearing a White Snake shirt. So something about White Snake really appeals to these filmmakers. Yeah, the other one, and he might have been listening to White Snake at that point in time, was Kilborn's character driving his sports car and he swerves to you know, miss, uh, you know, avoid an oncoming car or something. And then he drives off a bridge and and lands uh, right on Dean Pritchett. And that was interesting that they gave him the money to do that just in the credits for (laughs) seemingly no reason at all. And and then we have to do like these two characters who we didn't like, who were kind of assholes, let's kill them during the credits, just in case we didn't give them the confidence enough. I mean, not just that. How about the lazy way that Dean Pritchett is exposed, you know? So Pritchard. Right, where he's he's recorded by the the student council president, another female character who just is is a plot device, um, who he's been blackmailing or not even blackmailing. He's he's bribing her. He's offering her like help in getting admitted to law school so that she'll revoke the charter of the fraternity, and she records him uh, reneging on his bribe or whatever. So, yeah, it's all. Uh, and again, it starts out with him as a character where he has this kind of legitimate grievance, right? He was mistreated by these guys and they're still being jerks to him. And so he dislikes them and they're taking advantage of the system at the school. But then as it goes on, he's just like, no, I'm evil. <laughs> and <laughs> that's where it ends up. Yes, he he's extremely one dimensional. That is true. He is. Although it is kind of amusing. You know, of course, Jeremy Piven, I think before this was in uh, PCU, right? Uh, right. As the as the opposite character, as the yeah. the fraternity guy who is being uh, harassed by the administration and needs to to save his fraternity. So he's really covered the whole gamut of this very specific subgenre. Um, OK. <laughs> yeah. I, any, anything else you want to bring up here? Anything else you liked or didn't like? I mean, I would just throw out uh, along with the Metallica. I mean, obviously that sound of silence moment. I mean, uh, the Dan band, whether you like it or not, you know, there's some really great uses of music in this movie. I yeah. Think. Dust in the wind. When Will Ferrell sings dust in the wind. At that Blues too. Yep. Funeral. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the Dan band though. I mean, no, they were funny. Maybe now you don't like it. That's okay. But like when I first heard it, I was like, what, what is like the first time I had ever heard it? I thought it was really funny. Exactly. We, we added swear words to songs that don't have swear words in them. Yeah, but it, but not for no reason. It's to emote. Josh. Yes, it's emoting. Sure. Well, you know, they still we're here in Las Vegas. I feel like, well, I mean, obviously not now, but in pre-pandemic times, I feel like the Dan band performed here like every other week. Yeah. How about uh, Rob Corddry as a pledge who has zero lines in the movie? How about that? As Robert <laughs> That was Corddry. weird. Yeah, there's really all weird. sorts of like future stars in this movie with very, very small parts. Um, I mean, not as much as Cordry having no lines, but like Simon Helberg from the the Big Bang Theory is another one of the pledges and Sean William Scott showing up for like one scene as the the guy who uh, brought the horses to the uh, kids birthday party and stuff like that. Um, But Sean William Scott was already a star and that's very frat pack uh, comedy thing where they just kind of bring in a 
star as a rocket booster, you know, just to get one good comedic scene out of it. And I liked, and I, I mean, I guess he was in Road Trip. I didn't see it, right? But um, I kind of like Sean William Scott in this, and I think uh, I still think he's funny. He can yeah. be. I think he can he can be funny in the right uh, context. But you're right. I guess he was he was a bit more well known. Uh, the other one who's a pledge that I don't think also has maybe any lines is uh, Patrick J. Adams, who went on to be the star of Suits. Okay, I'm going to take your word on that one. So. <laughs> Suits, which ran for like a million seasons on USA and co-starred Meghan Markle. So, you know. It was Do you have a favorite episode of Suits? The first episode, which is the only one I've ever seen. That Tell us about me. it, Josh. Uh, it convinced me that I didn't want to watch any more episodes, but it was, hey, what do they wear? Weirdly, they wear suits. Um, <laughs> it was a very popular show and he was the main guy in it. Um, that's my point. So Dave, you ever wear a suit to a gangbang? Once. Wow. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a right. That's the right answer. Formal. Yeah. It was a formal. So let's just rate this. You want to rate this out of five gangbangs? Since you seem <laughs> to be uh, fixated on those. <laughs> sure. Uh, I'm going to go, and I've never done this before, Josh, uh-huh. because I'm trying to think. I kind of want to say 2.75 gangbangs, you know? Okay. <laughs> like, it, it's, it's between two and three, but because it's a gangbang, I feel like I can add an extra decimal in there you know so i'm gonna okay. say 2.75 gangbangs all right i'm gonna give it just uh the two gangbangs out of five which is the same rating i think i gave it back in 2003 and i i mean i'm down i don't hate this it's easy to watch but it's not i didn't find it enjoyable so uh dave uh what's your rating on this i think i was a little over enthusiastic on letterbox i gave it four there i'm gonna go i'm gonna dial it back to three and a half for me that's still uh very I, I enjoyed it. What can I say? All right. well, hey, it's, your, it's your pick. It'd be weird if you didn't enjoy it. That's right. You're a wild man. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll come back in a moment then and talk about the legacy of old school. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year in this episode of our season on the films of 2003. We have been talking about Dave's pick, our producer, David Rosen, his pick is old school. And, and as Dave pointed out, whether we like this movie or not, it, it was pretty influential. It was part of this larger trend of these, these raunchy comedies with a lot of these same actors, this, these frat pack group that were very popular in the 2000s and, and continue to kind of come around. I mean, especially Will Ferrell, who's the one of these stars who has maintained the biggest level of fame. He 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 varies, but absolutely Will Ferrell still stars in vulgar lowbrow comedies like this. Yeah, the biggest of the frat pack would be Paul Rudd, who shows, you know, he can do pretty much anything, but that's okay. Yeah, Will Ferrell um, has had a hugely successful career as a producer in television and film, uh, Funny or Die. And he's a good actor, you know, and we know he's a good actor. So uh, it's it'll be interesting to see what's next from him. I'm sure he'll show up on the uh, Smokey and the Bandit TV show that uh, McBride and his team are doing. And I'm actually very excited about a project I saw that he's doing um, on uh, IMDb, uh, The Shrink Next Door, which was a very good podcast. He is co-starring with Paul Rudd, and he is playing the patient who kind of is manipulated 
by uh, the the psychiatrist um, played by Paul Rudd. So that should be great because it was a very good podcast. That sounds great. And that's, I mean, I didn't listen to the podcast, but it's a true story and it's a dark kind of story. So I imagine that's going to have kind of the the black comedy tone, which I think will be interesting to see from th- those two guys. I think that could be fun. And Rudd is always playing such a likable guy. It'll be nice to see him play uh, a bastard. Oh, yeah, definitely. And if I'm not mistaken, isn't uh, Eurovision nominated for an Oscar with best song? That it is. I mean, I don't think Will Ferrell is uh, as part of yeah, that I don't nomination. Know if wrote it. But people, I did not like that movie, uh, Eurovision nah. Song Contest. That's uh, the recent Netflix original. But it, it has, it, it certainly has its fans. And I feel like people who like that movie just love it. And uh, that song is well well written, you know, again, not by Will Ferrell, but uh, he's yeah. the architect of that project, I think. So, um, yeah. And no, uh, it's no, it's no Yaya Dingo. Um, <laughs> Yaya Ding Dong, the word Yaya that you like to use earlier and you've got that wrong. <laughs> well, you know, Josh, how, how many different things can it mean? penis and it's a cup it's a hostess cake of sorts and you know it means idiot and now it's a part of a song it's too much uh the director of eurovision was the director of the wedding crashers so that kind of frat pack through line is there um i thought it was all right eurovision's all right but yeah will ferrell good vince vaughn i think at this point like you think he's kind of fallen off he does a ton of movies every year and like some cool stuff you know like like as you know i'm a big fan of uh Brawl on uh, Cell Block 99, you know, right. that's a really fun one. And I know he does a lot with that guy, but he had four movies out in 2020. Hmm. <laughs> and uh, he's very good as Fred Funkhauser on uh, on Curb Your Enthusiasm, where he gets to improvise, but it's within, you know, kind of uh, structure. and everything. Yeah. And, and like I said, I, I like him, especially when he plays characters who are actually like irredeemable. And one of his 2020 movies was a movie that I think Dave liked called Arkansas. Uh, directed oh, yeah. by Clark Duke, where he plays kind of a villain character. And that, that movie to me was a bit uneven, but I liked him in it. I felt like he did a good job in that world, that crime yeah. world. Yeah. Yeah. It's great when he gets a chance to uh, do something good. Cause like you said, he's in so much that it's, it doesn't have a really great connect rate, but you know, the good ones are great. Yeah, and he's one of those actors too, that I think is probably like willing to do whatever that if you have a low budget comedy and you need one scene with a famous person, that Vince Vaughn will show up and just do it. Um, yeah. And I, I also, though, I want to give Vince Vaughn credit because if you look at his filmography, you think of this, you think of Wedding Crashers, you think of Swingers, but he definitely, especially in like the late 90s, early 2000s, was doing some weird, you know, stuff, whether it was, I did not like the Psycho remake, but it was a chance he took. How about Clay Pigeons? You know, he was doing some interesting movies along those uh, at that time. Yeah, and I think it's, better you know if he takes those chances that's where i will enjoy him more rather than just like yeah hey funny vince vaughn showed up and said something funny and yeah, watch the breakup so, i keep, I keep yeah we keep that. saying that i i should watch it again uh, as i said in the downward love episode because i feel like i just missed what people loved about that movie we talked about luke wilson when we talked about uh bottle rocket in our 96 season and again he he works steadily but he, he was the kind of guy that around this time we thought was going to be this massive star and he just didn't get but, to that point. And his brother is a far bigger star. But he was, he was a leading man in these rom-coms and 
he did some of these other movies. Like, I mean, I don't, and you know, like even like Legally Blonde and stuff, right? Like, I think, I think what we're forgetting is like, there's just a shelf life to comedy and especially this type of comedy, how long you can star in this. Because it would be weird to see them do it today, right? Like, you know, what if they were starting a fraternity today? That would be even, uh, I don't think that would work at all, right? So, but he works, you know, like you said, all the time. He's on Stargirl. He's uh, narrated an emergency call. He's doing a lot of TV now. He's in a a movie called 12 Mighty Orphans. That's an adaptation that looks like it could be a thing. I just think, you know, they can't sustain that level forever. So moving on to doing other things whether it's producing or television, that's kind of, you know, the smart, the smart way to go. I mean, you're right. But at the same time, I feel like Will Ferrell, like I said, he still does do these kinds of movies and they're popular. I mean, Eurovision is not the same as this, but it has a lot of those similar sensibilities. It's silly. It's over the top. He's playing this ridiculous buffoonish character. Like it's very much in the vein of these movies. So I feel what like was the last big Will Ferrell comedy hit, Josh. I mean, that as far as Netflix goes, I mean, it's hard for us to say, but I feel like you can call that movie a hit. You can call Eurovision a hit. I think Will Ferrell is the exception, though, because I think people just love to see him especially be stupid. And the older he gets, the stupider he's going to be on <laughs> screen, you know? Right. And I disagree. I think he's going to move towards more mature parts because we know he can do it. Stranger than I fiction. Hope so. Everything must go. That was a good movie that where the uh, he's selling his all of his belongings like he's got he's got chops, man. He does. He does. And I'm not saying that yeah. he doesn't. I'm just saying that he can still like he can still do these kinds of movies. He proves that you can sustain that and still have an audience for it and still succeed with it. You know, if and he's good at it. I would say that he's better, even if I don't always like this stuff, he's better at that than Luke Wilson is, than Vince Vaughn is, than a lot of people are, you know, and that's why he's managed to have this long career doing these wacky comedies and it can still do it in his, you know, mid fifties or however old he is. But, now. but again, like I'm looking at the filmography and it's like daddy's home too, where he's playing a straight man or the house, which didn't do anything. You know what I mean? Like, Zoolander 2, that's based on a uh, property that's already, and it didn't really, you know, kind of move the needle. So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm looking and I, I don't know, was Get Hard a big hit? I don't, I don't know that. Like, you know, it's the will, it's like the Lego movie was the last huge hit, but that was voice acting. So I don't know, man. I think, I think uh, Anchorman 2 was 2013. I think we're kind of overestimating that he's doing this type of stuff still. I mean, again, or that it's a big hit still. Eurovision was last year and I think does qualify. So maybe but it's not- an exception because it wasn't I don't even think that would have gotten a release theatrically. So they went, oh, I want to do something wild and it goes right to a streamer. Well, but that's how you have success nowadays. I mean, I don't think you can say that that's an indicator of that movie not being successful. That No, no, I agree. I agree that. It, but I'm saying he's not doing all these the way he was like. Adam Sandler, what he's doing on Netflix is making a lot of those kind of Adam Sandler comedies. Will Ferrell is not doing that. Yeah, he's he's certainly got more range. But I think in a weird way, Adam Sandler doing what he does also proves that if you, I, I may not like Adam Sandler, but clearly he is good at what he does and people like it, that you can sustain that for a long period of time if you have the audience. Well, I will agree with you that there's definitely an audience that wants this type of broad wacky comedy that kind of fell out of favor, you know, in the last decade or so. 
Yeah, that, that actually that's a question I was going to actually ask you guys. Uh, we're talking about all the actors and and all that. But what about college comedies as as something that is continued on? I mean, obviously, you know, last year we had Shithouse, which is a totally different kind of movie. Uh, but do you think that this kind of genre has kind of gone away? Well, I think that there's so many you couldn't do this movie now, obviously, sure. as we said. And college campuses are this like focal point for a lot of this culture war stuff that I think makes it difficult to do that and easier to do something like Shithouse or another movie from last year that I, I like that I don't know, I don't think you guys like so much called I Used to Go Here. Um, mm. But both of those movies, whether you like them or not, are these small scale character driven stories. It's not about college culture per se, it's just about particular characters and how they connect with each other. And it's on this, it's their comedies, but they're not broad, wacky comedies. And I think that's the kind of thing you can do with college now. I think Shithouse showed a good amount of the culture at that school. But you're right. Those are indie movies. You know, if you were going to do a broad comedy, you'd probably have to do it from that that point of taking off of like, safe, like you would call it safe space or something like that. And it's, you know, this the, the kids who are, you know, very, you know, woke versus the kids who are very anything goes. Right. So and also you'd have to make it all college kids. You couldn't do this. Like you were saying, Josh, adult and uh, college mix anymore. I don't think that would work at all. So, but look, we've been through this. We know all these movies, you know, when we went through 84 and Revenge of the Nerds and stuff we talked about, they're all going to find problematic elements. But, you know, I hope there's, I hope there's an audience for, um, and there are ways to make all types of comedies, college comedies, raunchy comedies, which I think could use a nice little comeback right now. You know, any, anything, you know, you don't want, the same type of anything over and over again. I mean, yeah. Josh does in his diet because he's a very bad eater, but like movie wise, you don't want to see the same type of comedy constantly. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. That very relevant point. <laughs> um, I, I will say that, that I expected, you know, not having seen this movie since 2003 and not remembering that much about it. I expected to find it a lot more problematic than I actually did. And to me, the big issue was just, was it was not funny and uh, it was poorly structured. And I mean, there were a lot of issues with it, but I felt like certain things that I was thinking, oh, this is going to be really like cringy. And it, it was not nearly as much as I thought it would be. So for whatever that's worth. So they did almost do a sequel called Old School Dose, where they were going to spring break, which is a natural move. And uh, funny little personal story, Josh, when I was up for writing hot tub time machine two what i did was i thought it would be fun let's do a summer camp version same setting and we'll just set it in summer camp in the 80s and the the one we lost to was the same kind of hot tub time machine where they go back but instead they go back to the 90s in spring break which is a fair way to lose and then you know neither of them got made anyway so because steve pink came back on but the old school dose was going to be that type of thing where, oh, we have to go and find a new kingpin. And then Will Farrell and I think Vince Vaughn just thought like, hey, we're just repeating ourselves. So let's not do this. Yeah, I think that was the smart move. And of course, Revenge of the Nerds, too, does exactly that. The nerds go on spring break and, you know, have to say so. It was That's really I mean, I think Vince Vaughn and Will Farrell will write to reject that. But it's also just a lazy pitch. They could have come up with a better idea, I think. All right. Here's my last question. Do we see Todd Phillips going back to comedies after Joker? I don't think so, because I think if Joker had failed, you know, Joker was this huge swing for Todd Phillips going from these raunchy comedies to doing something so dark and so serious. And I think if Joker had flopped, 
he definitely would have gone back. But Joker was such a huge success that in a weird way, he can't go back because now people think of him as the guy who made Joker and his next yeah. movie has to be something dark and serious. So he's had quite a weird career trajectory. And I had totally forgotten because I was looking up his movies and I was thinking of him as the guy who just did like raunchy comedies and then Joker. But there's that step in between where he made that movie War Dogs with Jonah yeah. Hill, which is sort of a dark comedy, but takes on a lot of serious elements. And I remember thinking that movie was actually not bad and probably better than Joker. Hmm. Um, well, let me say this. I think we got to give Todd Phillips credit because he's taken a lot of huge swings. He went from documentary to raunchy comedy. And then old school wasn't a sure shot. At the time, Vince Vaughn was the biggest star, I'd say. And then The Hangover, he became super rich off of because he bet on himself. Like, because none of those guys were really famous at the time. And he said, that's fine. Like, put up my salary and I'll just take a back end. Just let me make this movie. And it became the most successful comedy of all time, right? So he's taken a lot of swings. And like you said, Joker was another big swing. I know he is attached to the Hulk Hogan movie for Netflix, I think. And that's something that will probably, you know, have a more comedic element to it. I can see that movie being like I, Tanya or something like that, where it has dark comedy about all the crazy stuff that Hulk Hogan did, but certainly isn't going to be like old school or anything like that. Uh, we'll see. Is uh, Will Ferrell going to play Hulk Hogan? I uh, don't think so. I, Wasn't I, it, weren't people Hemsworth? saying Hemsworth? Yeah. yeah, I think it's a Hemsworth oh, brother. Yeah, I mean, I like, is it, if it's Chris, is it Chris Hemsworth or the, one of the lesser ones? <laughs> Liam's that, not, I'm not really sure. a lesser one. He's a big one, isn't he? So. Not as Who's big the as other one? one? The lesser uh, Hemsworth. Liam? The, uh, or... Yeah, no, the Liam is the, he's, he's, he's fairly successful, but the one who's on Westworld, mm, yeah. Luke, Luke Hemsworth is the one on Westworld. Yeah. So yeah, he's the, he's the, the lowest of the three, but <laughs> maybe that's the, they all three auditioned and it was like, let me, Todd Phillips was like, let's see which one of you can say this the best. Well, let me tell you something, brother. <laughs> Thank you for that. Maybe it'll be like that, that, that maybe Todd you should Hain take the role. The Todd <laughs> Haynes biopic of Bob Dylan, where they'll just switch actors as, but it'll yeah. just be all Hemsworths. As or the Todd Haynes biopic of the Carpenters, and it'll just be Barbie dolls. So. All of these sound way more interesting than I'm sure whatever Todd Phillips will actually come up with. Um, <laughs> Scott Armstrong is kind of in a weird way, maybe the opposite in that he, he was the co-writer here and he worked with Todd Phillips, but he has really stayed in that raunchy comedy space as opposed to sort of going beyond it and has made some raunchy comedy stuff on his own as a writer and a director and was the creator of the Andrew Dice Clay sitcom on Showtime, Dice, which I think was actually, a lot of that was uh, shot here in Vegas, but I never watched it. That could be good. Dice, you know, has proven he can act. I didn't watch it either. All right, good stuff. Um, and lastly, Jason, uh, what is your favorite post-old school Craig Kilborn project? <laughs> I wish there was something to talk about, man. I think he was uh, early, like way before Me Too, right? And I don't know if it was a Me Too situation or just him treating people badly, but that was the thing, right? He was an asshole. And they were like, hey, dude, you got to get off TV. And then he's like, ah, I'll just be a producer. And then like, what is, what is he doing now? Do we know? I was looking. He has like very sporadic appearances. His Wikipedia has like, you know, like a line, a paragraph on his own that says like in 2016, he appeared in a macaroni and cheese commercial or something like that. So I guess he probably made enough money. You know, he originated The Daily Show. I mean, he's not the creator of it, but he yeah. really pioneered that format. And he was 
Uh, I feel like he's done so many of these things like The Daily Show or even like his uh, late show where he was the host before Craig Ferguson and then James Corden, where he was kind of the guy who started it. But then he left and the people who took over after him are the ones who made it important or, or well, valuable. Well, I want to give him some. And again, like, I don't know exactly what happened. I think it was probably a difficult to work with thing, but don't quote me on that. But the Daily Show, you know, he was weird on that. And then the Late Late Show, he was very weird on that. And I kind of like that. And he was a great sports center anchor, Josh. So maybe he should go he, back to that. I don't yeah. Know. Keith Oberman's back. Why can't Craig come back? So we'll see. Uh, anything else you want to say on the legacy, Jason? You're you're my boy, Josh. Thank you. <laughs> you can say that at my funeral. So that's old school. And that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. You can follow us on social media. You can. I'm at Jason Harris Comedy on Facebook and Instagram. Jay Harris Comedy on Twitter. Uh, and I am at goforjason.com, which is like an old dilapidated frat house. It needs a good amount of fixing up. We're at awesomemovieyear.com. Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. I'm going to say that my website is old school in that it's uh, vintage, you know, it's like cool and retro. It's uh, well, not, not more cool and retro than spacejam.com. Mm. We, we, you know, it's been numerous episodes since Jason mentioned <laughs> spacejam.com. So thank you for that. Josh Bell hates everything.com is my website. I'm also at Josh Bell hates everything on Facebook and at signal bleed on Twitter. And you can listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, piecing it together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to check out our Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces Facebook group where we talk about movies all the time. And it's like a fun little frat house in there. No, it's not. Yeah, that's the wrong way to describe it. Jason, what do we have in our next episode? Well, Josh, I'm going to turn it over to Dave because this is really, this is all about Dave. And I mean, dude, I'm excited for it too. But this is, this is, you got to give this one to Dave. So. Take it away, Dave. Uh, it's our future cult classic, and it is a movie that could have also been my pick because it's like one of my favorite movies ever. It's Tommy Wiseau's The Room. Yeah. So tune in next time for The Room, and thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.